Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I'm going to share some an open conversation with you uh, that I'm having with myself, and I've had it with a few friends also. But it's a conversation about a couple of videos I've watched of Charlie Munger's. Now, if you don't know who Charlie Munger is, he is uh, Warren Buffett's partner in Berkshire Hathaway. And these two have been aligned at the hip, I think, ever since the beginning of Berkshire Hathaway. They probably started together. And uh, some would say he is the yin to Warren Buffett's yang, that he's the smart one. He won't say that. He'll say he's the dumb one, but the steady one that warns the smart one. But it's irrelevant. The bottom line is he has his theories. And just like I have my rules of investing, and I felt they've done me well over the years, he has his rules of investing also. And what's interesting is, and I was looking back through this, is that I realized that one of my rules, my very first rule, happened to be Warren Buffett's very first rule, which was don't lose money. That's an interesting point of view. And, um, you know, I've been saying that for years, so I might have stole it from him years ago. I don't know. But that's always been my rule number one. So I don't know if it was just the pain of losing money in the stock market that made me say that or if it was uh, listening to somebody smart like Warren Buffett say that. But Charlie Munger has a different way of saying it. He's got a different approach to it. He says that what he does is that he looks at everything in in an inverted fashion. So in other words, everybody's looking at, well, does this investment opportunity have great upside? He looks at it and says, is there any chance that I'll lose everything on this? And really, that is the definition of looking at it and saying, rule number one, don't lose money. Now, there's been a lot of money lost in real estate the last two years, especially, well, we'll say in the last year, because the stuff that was occurred over the last two or three years, a lot of people got into these deals with these adjustable rate mortgages, and it adjusted on them, and now they're not making any money. And some of it adjusted so much that when the interest rates went up that high, the cap rates moved, got higher. And now the properties aren't worth what they paid for them. And they're upside down on them and they're losing some money. So rule number one, uh, from my point of view, which was don't lose money, I wasn't getting into any of those deals. But Charlie Munger just would have looked at it and said in inverse fashion, he would say, you know, what is it that could possibly take this deal down? What's the worst thing could possibly happen? Now, if you look at these deals and you think about it for just a second, the value going down on the deal wouldn't necessarily hurt it. And you say, well, why is that? Because if you don't have to sell, you still have tenants in there. You've, you know, whether you have 100 units or 1,000 units or 10 units, you've got, you've got 10, 100, or 1,000 units to fill, and you fill them. They will fill because people need a place to live, and it becomes a price-product ratio. 
If you got the best price product ratio, you're going to get the customer. It's pretty simple. Unless you're in a very, 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 very bad location, you'll still fill it up, but you'll have to charge less rent and get lower quality tenants. But real estate is easy to rent. That's not the part of real estate that's hard, although people make it hard because they don't know what they're doing. The really risky part is if you're in some type of a loan that's going to run out on you. And when you get to the end of that loan, you can't refinance it because you're upside down on the property. So whenever I bought properties in the past, I always put loans on there that were, you know, five years or seven year loans, depending on how long I thought I was going to hold on to it with my plan of when I was going to divest so that I didn't have very large um, prepayment penalties. But they were always pretty safe. So if I thought I was going to own it for one year, I'd put a three-year loan on it and eat a little bit of prepayment penalty um, instead of getting hammered. But what happened here is something so wild is that they put these adjustable rate mortgages on. And by the way, I have to, I have to say this, or, or it wouldn't be really honest, is I've used short-term adjustable rate mortgages in rehab situations where I bought the place, uh, they lent me the money to buy it and the money to rehab it, and then I had to pay them back. I had to refinance out right away. But that was six months to a year. The longest one I ever did was 18 months. That was on a 320 unit that was completely empty. It took me 18 months to turn it around. But the reality is that I bought that one so cheap. I mean, I bought it like literally 20 cents on the dollar. See, I bought it for 8000 a door, and it was worth 50000 a door. So no matter what the interest rates did, I could easily refinance it, get my money back out of it, or sell it and get my money back out of it. So there was very little risk there. So the, the value, the cost that I paid for the thing really eliminated the risk. Now, what's going on now is people are buying these really expensive properties. They're at the peak market price. And it's actually what happened in the last couple of years, not this very moment. But they bought them at these, you know, peak market conditions. And when you turn around and look at that situation, you say, wow, that, that just doesn't work. It's not going to work, right? There's no way. Because when those values went down, those peak prices are such that you can't get out of that loan. And when the interest rates went skyrocket high, they couldn't take the payments, even though they were full. Most of the deals that I've seen that have gone down, not all of them, but most of them, it wasn't an occupancy problem. It was an interest rate problem. Um, or it was a tax and insurance problem where they paid, you say you buy a property's worth $10 million, you pay $20 million for it, and your property taxes are based on $10 million, and all of a sudden the government finds out that you paid twenty. Well, guess what they're going to do? They're going to adjust your taxes, make them based on the $20 million you paid. If you said it was worth $20 million, then they, by gosh, can make the argument very easily that it's worth $20 million. And so your taxes double. So the whole point I'm making here as I go through this is whether it's Buffett's statement, don't lose money, Del Wombley's statement, don't lose money, or whether it's Charlie Munger's statement, Figure out what the absolute worst thing that could happen to this deal is. Because if you lose your capital, the game is over. You have to go get more capital. The, the second one I want to cover, though, is that the best place to invest your money 
is where the market is inefficient. And I know that I heard that one from him years ago because it's something I used to tout back when I first started Lifestyles all the time, is that the reason real estate was so good was because the market was so terribly inefficient. And so you had situations where there were just incredibly good prices on deals that the market couldn't come back to. In other words, I could go buy a house, and by the way, houses are the most inefficient real estate market there is, followed simply and closely behind by duplexes, fourplexes, and then after that, small apartment complexes. But I could go buy a house and think about how inefficient this market is. The house is worth, and I do it today. I mean, we do it for our members right now. It's worth $200,000. We buy it for 100000 bucks. In this situation, you've got somebody who owns a house that is in terrible condition, and they don't have the money to fix it up. And it could take $50,000 for them to fix it up. And they're sitting there with a mortgage of $100,000 on it, and they got to get rid of the mortgage to sell it even. So they've got to get at least $100,000. But after that, they don't have any money to fix it up, so they can't go back to the market and sell it at market price. So we come in and buy it for $100,000, and we go put $50,000 worth of renovation into it. And now we own it for 150000 but the second the renovation is done, it's worth the 200000 again. And then the marketplace kicks in. Now, since I've been doing a radio show for 35 years, the market has become more efficient. You know, I've got 50,000 clients out there that I taught how to do this. Four or five of my clients have started their own seminar business, and they're teaching people how to do this. And... Everybody out there is acting like this stuff just got invented, but it's been around forever. So that means the market is nowhere near as inefficient as it used to be. But I will tell you this, and this is important. I'm always talking about Grant Cardone because he is the social media king out there. Got to give him that. And he's a real estate investor, and he buys billions. He says billions of dollars of real estate. Okay, we'll take his word for it. The bottom line is that he constantly states that the best deal you can get into is big, giant, expensive, class A buildings. And I beg to differ with him. 100% beg to differ with him because he can't go buy that big 40, 50, $100 million property and turn around and sell it for double in a year or two. Whereas we can buy little teeny properties that are the market just can't get to. Why? Nobody wants to do them. When you buy a big, giant property with property management in place, any and all money that's saved up on the sideline somewhere can buy that. So there is going to be a bidding war, and you're going to buy at a price that is just market. That's all there is to it. You're not going to buy it below market unless someone is in foreclosure, and you got to go buy the loan off of it and pay cash to pay off the bank to get it. In some cases like that, you might be able to get it cheaper. But in, on average, 100% of the time, the larger the property is, the more efficient the marketplace is for it. And if the market is efficient, then the deal's not a good deal. Let me get the stuff that nobody else wants, nobody else can do. They don't have enough cash. It's in a bad location. They don't know how to deal with the clientele. Something that is really messed up may very well be the greatest opportunity. Now, what's happened, and I was looking at a deal the other day that was just, it was perfect 
for what I would have liked back when I started. It's all messed up. The thing is just a complete piece of garbage property. Uh, it's got a tough clientele to manage. It's in a bad location. I mean, everything about it that is wrong makes it just right, except for one thing. The person who bought it was an idiot, and they own it now, and they're an idiot. And they own it now because they bought this thing thinking it would operate just like one of those Class A properties, one of those really nice properties. You put a management company on it, and, and it just let it run. Won't happen. Not in this case. And they got killed. They lost massive money on it the first year they owned it. They only owned it one year, and they're already ready to sell it. But the problem for them is that they think that this is a real market, that they can just go back out to the market and find another idiot, another greater fool. And, hey, they might find another greater fool. But the people I'm consulting, as I go and look at these things with these people, I go, you know, this isn't going to work at the price they've got it at. This deal's a perfect opportunity to make something happen good in your life because it's got all this terrible stuff about it that you can fix, right? But not at the price they're trying to sell it to you. They're trying to sell it to you at a full market price. And this it just doesn't work at that price. It didn't work for them, and now they're trying to get out of the problem. And one of the things I used to always tell people when I mentored them was, look, well, actually, I would tell sellers this when I was buying. I don't want to buy your problem and pay you to take over your problem. I'm willing to buy your problem for a cheap enough price that I can put the rest of the money back into the deal and fix the deal. But I'm not going to give you money to buy your problem from you. That doesn't work. I'm here to solve problems but not at and or by giving you money that you didn't solve the problem for. That's the difference. So, my friends, rule number two is you've got to find a constrained market to find a good deal. And when we come back from break, I'm going to talk to you about the verbiage that goes into that psychologically to find those great deals in a constrained market. We'll be right back with the Del Wobbsley Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. Stop waiting. Stop sitting around. Stop procrastinating. This is your time. Make it happen. Do it now. When's the best time? Now. People go, well, I don't know. It's going to crash. It's going to be better next year. It's, I've got to listen to four more classes. I love guys come up to me all the time. You know, I've been listening to you on the radio for eight years now, right? <laughs> I go, and you're not rich yet? <laughs> well, really, I'm thinking about joining next month. <laughs> Do it now. Learn the skills you need to retire with real estate in five years or less. Do it now. Register for the Lifestyles Unlimited free online workshop. 
lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today I'm going over some Charlie Munger theories and uh, sharing uh, with you how I've taken these theories over the last 35 years and benefited from them. Also sharing my theories and how they, you know, mix and match with what uh, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett talk about in their videos when I watch those. Uh, let's talk about the, um, the concept that you have to have when you go to negotiate something. People seem to think, and this is made worse by um, all these real estate gurus that are out there now on the internet. Everybody you talk to is a real estate guru. It's, you got zero cost of entry to become a real estate guru now. You just get on the internet and start blabbing. So these guys all have made it appear that real estate investing is so easy that you just go down to the drugstore or go down to the realtor's office and say, okay, give me one. I'd like a, you know, like you're buying a pair of shoes. I'd like a size eight, please, with a wide or narrow stance. Uh, I want it in this color and I'd like it in this location and I'd like it to be this price. And you think you could just go over there and get that. That's not how good real estate deals occur. Real estate can be purchased. Anybody can buy real estate. That doesn't mean you're going to make any money with it. You've got to know how to go buy it at a gain. And so the way I've always looked at it is, and it really, it's hard to understand this if you've never really been a negotiator of any kind, that you have to go find a motivated seller. And once you find a motivated seller, because that comes first, then you can negotiate a good deal. Now, I've found people that have found motivated sellers that have no idea how to negotiate a good deal. They don't even know what a good deal looks like. And so they don't get good deals, even if they find a motivated seller. But the first and most important thing is to find a motivated seller. If you came up to me and said, you know, I want to buy your property. I'm going to go, I'm not in, I'm not for sale. I'm not in the market, but I'll give you a good price. Well, that's not negotiating. That's overpaying, right? And that's what people are doing. They're going into these deals that are for sale, and they're going into these things called highest and best offers, and they're just bidding each other up into really bad, bad deals, upside down, overpaid kind of deals. And that isn't how you make money in real estate. You make money in real estate by finding somebody that's got a problem. And that problem needs to be solved. And to do that, you have to negotiate them into letting it go. And so, you know, I joke about it all the time. It's like going up to a very happily married woman and saying, have you thought about leaving your husband? And of course, they're going to slap you in the face and tell you that they have no interest. It isn't going to work. If the seller is not motivated, no matter what you offer, you're not going to get the deal to work. And if it does work, you do get the sale, then you know you've way overpaid. That's the reality. So the first step is to go find motivated sellers. Now, they're all over the place. I will tell you that I own real estate companies. I now now in 12 different cities. And we did that so that we could get listings for people to help our members all over the country buy stuff. 
But to that extent, we have a license. We can sell real estate off MLS. 90% of the deals that we do are not listed on MLS. Let me repeat that. 90% of the deals that we find for our clients are not on MLS. You're not going to find them there. Good deals do not hide on the open market. That just doesn't work that way. Now, there's another place you could go look for like multifamily deals, which is called loopnet.com. And loopnet.com is where bad deals go to die. They get listed there because it doesn't cost anything hardly at all to stay listed. Um, they're, they're just, they're ridiculously priced deals that people want and they'll just throw them out there and leave them because there are some sellers that they just, the way they live is they buy something, they go negotiate a good deal and then they turn right around and sell it again and they just sit and wait. I've seen people do this. Um, you know, I buy a, a lot of train equipment from my model train set and there are guys that go out there and they'll buy something and then just mark it up 50 to 100% above what it's worth. Leave it on LoopNet or leave it on, uh, what is that, eBay, and leave it there for months, years. They don't care until some fool is really wants that piece and is willing to overpay them. But there's no motivation in their, in their game at all. So the next thing that, that Charles Munger brings up is that there's only going to be so many great deals in your life. Only so many are going to occur during your lifetime. And so, in other words, you don't run into great deals every day. You can't go down to the store and just say, give me a great deal. It isn't going to happen. You have to go find these things. And so, he says that very wealthy people, many times, have only done four or five really great investments in their life. And I started thinking about that. And I go, hmm, man, I made a ton of money on Single families, duplexes, and fourplexes is what I specialized in back when I first started. Had over 100 units. I think 106 was my peak of single families, duplexes, and fourplexes. So I bought I bought five duplexes together on one street. I bought 15 duplexes together in a circle. It was a cul-de-sac, and I owned the whole cul-de-sac with 30 units, 15 duplexes. Uh, I, earned four, I owned four fourplexes in one location. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've just owned all these. I, I owned 45 townhouses, all in one townhouse location. Um, that's the way, you know, you did it. You just found stuff that nobody else wanted or you could get to. For whatever reason, it just didn't fit really what the marketplace wanted. The marketplace didn't really want to buy that kind of stuff. And I did. And so I did very, very well with it, and I made my first couple million bucks that way. And, you know, when you don't ever have a million, getting to the first million is a lot. And it's funny because Grant Cardone says a million is nothing. And, you know, laughingly, I have to tell you, it's probably true. You probably couldn't even retire on just a million bucks anymore. You'd have to live very frugally. But the, the bottom line is that first one means everything to you. It's the hardest one to get. It's the scariest one to figure out. Right. And when you get it, it is probably the most satisfying of all the millions I've ever earned. The first million was probably the most satisfying. But uh, the bottom line is that the guy lives by rules. And he says that's why he is very, very good and very, very wealthy. 
very good at investing and very, very wealthy from investing is because he follows and sticks to these rules. So one of the things that he said was, is don't be afraid to consolidate. And he makes a secondary point that you should be very, very good at something. He says he doesn't give a heck about being knowing a little bit about a lot of stuff. And he says that's really his own personal problem. His problem is he knows very little about a lot of stuff. So you can't make any money knowing a little about a lot of stuff. He said he had to study and study and study and study and study until he found some businesses that really had opportunities. And then he specialized in those businesses. And that's one of the things that he said in his in this video. He says, you just need to specialize. And I specialized in that neighborhood. I owned one on one side of the street, 64. The unit across the street, which was a 68. The one one block away, which was an 88. And then I bought right around the corner from that, which was a block away down the block, around the corner, down the block, one block. I bought a 106 unit. And across the street from that one and around the corner was a 34 unit. I bought them both together. So I had, you know, another 150 units right there. So I had all these units right there together, right? It was like 500 units within a block of each other. Two blocks from one end of the ownership to the other was maybe two at the farthest three blocks apart. And I held on to those. I made tons of money with those. And I didn't need to know what was happening all over the city. I didn't need to know what was happening all over the country. And I was very happy just to hold on to those. And as I went out there and I mentored people and helped people do stuff all over the country, I I found out about other parts of the city. I found out about other parts of the country. And, you know, my experience grew and et cetera, et cetera. But that's really where I made all my money and maintained it. He tells a story, Munger does, who's a billionaire, who made all of his money within in a, 10 blocks of Stanford University. And so he, for 50 years, whenever the market was down or whenever something came out, came up for sale that was at a good price, he'd buy it. And whenever the market got oversold and the prices were way high, he'd sell some of it. And he just kept working that area. He knew he was the king of that area. Now, I'd done that so many different times. I remember one time I was a little teeny tiny town in south of Houston. And it's just, I mean, 10,000 people at the most. And I owned like three apartment complexes. And I thought, you know, I should buy the gas station. I literally have told myself this. I should buy the gas station. I should buy the grocery store. And then I'd own everything in town. And I'd never worry again because I'd be, you know, the king tut of a small little property or a small little town. The reality is that's the kind of big, giant money people make. So you look at Donald Trump. He did everything to get rich in New York City. He only had like four major deals he did in New York City to become a billionaire. Then he went other places and did stuff. In fact, when he went to Las Vegas, or I guess it was Atlantic City, he lost his shirt. He got killed. That wasn't his town. New York was his town. And that, I think, is very, very important to see, that you don't have to be all over the place. Pick a spot you're an expert at and work that area. 
Now, not all areas make sense. Like a lot of our investors are in California. I wouldn't buy something in California. Number one, why would you buy a business or start a business in a place where they'll let you let people run into your business and steal all your stuff? Or like in Oregon, let you burn the business to the ground and the people don't go to jail. They don't go to jail for stealing your stuff. They don't go to jail for, uh, you know, burning your place down. California, kill people, doesn't matter. You're not going to jail. Now, why would you own a business in a place like that? Why would you own a business where they double tax you? In other words, the income taxes there are an additional 10 to 12% above and beyond federal income taxes. Why would you do that? So, I don't. But there are areas you just don't want to be in. However, those people out there can come here and invest and live there if they want. That's not a problem. And invest here because the deals are good here. And so, for years, we didn't have offices outside of Houston. There was no need for them. They could satiate everybody's need right here in Houston. Then when we wanted more region, we knew Dallas. We could go to Dallas because it was pretty similar to Houston. Then we went to San Antonio, then to Austin. And hey, guys, be an expert in one area. Don't be a nobody in all areas. Have a great day. And remember, it's not the money. It's the lifestyle. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.